Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Team, what a great job uh, leading us in worship today. And thank you for being here. So good to see you. Uh, man, I was looking at Miss Cindy on the screens a minute ago and just thanking the good Lord for all of his many blessings. And um, I just tell you what, we are so blessed to see, you know, your daughter appear, your wife, you know, when the kids are involved, the kids have been teaching other kids this morning over here. And just to know your family is engaged. You know, God has had his hand on this church family. As y'all head to Genesis 4, let me just tell you what I was telling our church family Wednesday night in the annual conference. Not only have we seen more than 300 people join the church this year, but over that, we've had 130 baptism, 131 baptisms. We had some folks get saved first hour and second hour, and I'm believing God's going to save somebody in this hour right here today. I'm telling you, God is moving. Y'all have given uh, over $2 million more than we've spent this year. So what does that mean? That means last year we started Freedom for the Future. I hate debt. I want to kill the debt on this building. I started here with about $4 million in debt. We got it down to about $3 million. Now, uh, this year with Freedom for the Future, you've paid another half million on that. We've saved $82,000 in interest with our sweep accounts from Home Federal. But because of your incredible generosity, we're going to go ahead this week, if they didn't already do it, end of last week, we're going to write another check for a million dollars to go from three million in debt to 1.5 million in debt in one year, in one year. Now, I am not a math major, but I'm, I know enough math to know if we went from three million to a million and a half this year, guess what that means we could do this time next year? We could burn a note and be debt free, y'all. That would be amazing. I want to burn a note. I want to be debt free. I don't want to be a, a, in bondage to debt. Have y'all ever paid a last payment on something? Praise God, we just wrote the last one to UT for right now. And then, uh, you know, you ever play like a truck off or a car or a bicycle or anything? It's a good feeling. And uh, I'm so grateful for this building. Looks like we're going to be in in a while longer, okay? So you need to pray for the uh, seat company that they need to get their bottoms in gear, literally, because it's the bottom of the chair they can't get. So you can pray to get their bottoms in gear. And uh, pray for Boom Bash. Would y'all do that? It's Saturday night. Pray for great weather. We're going to see some people get saved. I think we had 34 or 37 that, uh, that prayed to receive Christ and got baptized last year. That's how many were baptized. So I actually think we had about 50 total that were saved. But I want you to pray for that event. Pray for that ministry. Free food, man. Hot dogs, cotton candy, popcorn, ice cream. Giveaways like crazy. All sorts of stuff is going to be happening. And, of course, there's fireworks. We got a specialist coming in, a children's evangelist. He's going to share. We're going to see God move. And he told me the other day on the phone that he always sees adults come to faith in Christ at those events too. So please make plans to be here 5 o'clock this coming Saturday. Mike will tell you more about it at the end. We are learning a verse in every chapter. I've got two more messages in Genesis before we break. We're going to go into the New Testament for a season. How long? I don't know. Then we'll come back. Um, but we're going to spend some time back over in the New Testament because we've been in Genesis a while now. And I want to break right before the Noah narrative because it's a good place to pick back up. So let's learn Genesis 4-7 together, okay? If you've been here the last few weeks, you've been saying it, you've probably got it memorized already. But would y'all say this with me this morning? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Okay, and when it says its desire is for you, it means it's pointed at you. The Hebrew language there means it's directed at you. Sin, Satan knows how to point sin in your direction. 
where your thorn in the flesh is, where your weakness lies. But you can rule it. With the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, walking with Jesus Christ, you walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So let's say it again, a bunch of blanks. You ready? Let's see if you got it. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Y'all got it. Great. All right, good. So the, I've in 21 messages now I've brought you in Genesis. 21 messages we've preached this year. I was always told in school, and buddies of mine say, you can't do more than six messages in a row. People get bored, and they've got to be cute, and they've got to be trendy, and uh, that's a bunch of hogwash, okay? That's pure baloney. I don't buy that for one minute because people come when they come. Some of y'all have been on vacation. Hey, we've been on vacation. You take weeks off here and there. It's okay. We're back. We're ready to roll. And I'll tell you the truth. If I were looking through the Bible, the second half of Genesis 4 and Genesis 5 would be one of the last places on earth I would want to preach from. It may be some of the most unpreachable verses in all of Scripture, but it's often when I get to these places. You know what amazes me about people getting saved in the first service and the second service? I am literally reading a genealogical listing that is very depressing today. God always does this. He takes these, these parts that are so obscure. I mean, have y'all ever been in your Bible reading and you come to a genealogical list and your eyes kind of glaze over and you go, Lord, why is this in here? I can't pronounce that name. They're not in my family. Well, they really are in your family if you go back far enough. But you say, what is this here for? I think it always reminds me God knows us by name. God cares about our family. God is a personal God. And when you come to a section like this, always say, what's the big picture? Don't miss the forest for the trees. What is God showing us? In Hebrew, especially in the Old Testament, repetition is so important. When you see a phrase, an idea, a concept repeated, God is trying to get it in your brain and into your heart so that it changes you. And I think what we're seeing here, to me, is becomes very clear. And I have named this sort of ominously, the wages of sin. Now look at that dark image. Thankfully, there's some light in there. But when I say that, the wages of sin, if you're a Christian, if you know some of Romans, what is the next couple of words? For the wages of sin is death. Yeah, welcome to grace. We're glad you're here. It's kind of dark. It's kind of depressing. But the, the verse goes on, right? You know Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. What we owe for that sin is death. But... The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what the Bible teaches. Next week, we'll pick up the good part. This week, you're just in for it, so hold on. Here's the deal, though. There are bright glimmers of hope and light shining in the darkness. Now, we're going to make sure the doors are closed, and I'm going to ask you not to get up for just a moment, just for your safety, okay? Nothing weird. I just want to show you something. For years and years, I've preached using an iPad. I type on my laptop, and then I transfer it to PDF, and then I annotate and do some special notes. Then I use a program that allows me to flip pages. So I can just literally flip through my pages. This is this week and next week. Don't read ahead. Don't read ahead. So this, and then I highlight to certain colors of the things I want you to see. I'm just a manuscript guy. It's the way I like to do it. It's the way kind of God made me to, to preach. So I love this because if I preach in other places where the lighting is weird or off or maybe it's pretty bright in my eyes, this is backlit so I can see it. The thing is, this has been putting a glow on my face all along. You just can't see it. 
but it is affecting me. It is impacting me. So I'll step back a little bit and I'm going to show you. Now watch what happens. I'm not going to change anything, but watch. That means kill the lights. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see the glow now? And I see your glow too. So if you're checking InstaFace, stop, you're in church. Okay, no, I'm kidding. You probably, you probably got your, your notes open or your Bible open, right? Yeah, I see that Bible, praise the Lord. You see how we glow? Do you see how, oh, that looks good on the screen, look. Hi. I gotta find the front edge of the stage. Okay, so look, right here, thank you very much. So right here, you see the impact. Now, you know, we can groan and complain about the state of the culture and the world around us. It is dark. It's as dark as it's ever been in our lifetime, isn't it? But the Bible says in Matthew 5, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When the culture is darkest, when the world seems like there is no light, that's a moment for Christians. That is a moment for the gospel to shine. In all the bright light, you don't notice it. But if you and I will truly not hide our candle of God's light under a bushel, as Miss Lucy was singing yesterday with us, hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. If we will let the light shine, we will see that the world will notice that. As the lights come back up, guys, thank you all for doing that for me today. As the lights come on, I want to tell you, Moses went up on the mountain with God and his face shone. So much so that they had to put a veil on. The Bible is so clear that we can have this evidence of walking with God. In fact, in Acts chapter four, it talks about Peter and John and those apostles that were so tight with Jesus that the scribes and the Pharisees marveled because they recognized they'd been with Jesus. They marveled because they saw Christ on them. And when does the light look brightest? When it's dark. When it's dark, and you're going to see a lot of darkness. In fact, Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Remember when it says a lamp unto my feet, that means it just covers me right here. A light unto my path, not a spotlight. I've got one of these lamps of antiquity in my office. What the psalmist would have been speaking of. And it doesn't light very far because God's not telling you he's going to show you everything down the road. You couldn't handle it. You couldn't handle the good. You certainly couldn't handle the bad. And I certainly couldn't either. But God's word is going to guide us. In fact, the Lord Jesus said in John 18, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. Some of you guys today, you're sort of still in the dark. And if there's one little phrase I want you to, to leave this place with, it's this. Be ready. Be ready. What we are seeing before our very eyes today is what God said we would see way back in Genesis 2. Hey, Adam, I'm giving you all these trees, but if you eat from that one, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, that very day that he and, Adam, that he and Eve ate, our first parents, they died spiritually. They were separated from God. But then the body the body began a decay process that one day, as we'll see, caught up with old Adam. And he indeed, surely, truly did die. Physically, the body was separated from the spirit. And so, I don't know where you are today, but there may be some folks here in the dark. 
there may be some folks here that are not ready. And I'm telling you, if you read this text and you don't realize what's coming, then you're blinded this morning. And I want God to open your eyes. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. I'm going to be very selective. I'm going to be jumping. So just hang with me. It'll be on the screens. If you have your Bible in hand, which is always a preference, you can follow along. But we'll start with 16 and 17. The Bible says, then Cain went from the presence of the Lord. Remember, the Lord had punished him, but God had also provided for him. God was merciful even in his punishment. So he went from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife. We've already unpacked that phrase. And she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city. And he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. That's interesting. So now we have population centers beginning to spring up very quickly. How could that happen just with one family? Well, pay attention to the length of life. Skip to 25. What you have in the middle there is just a lot of death, destruction, and more genealogical records. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. Very important name. We'll explain it next week. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh, a little different than Enoch. And, and men began to call on the name of the Lord. Notice that's in lower caps, that means Yahweh. When you see that in an English translated Bible, Lord like that, so you have a capital L and then a small cap O-R-D, that means Yahweh, the personal covenant name of God. And so men begin to call on the name of the Lord. Chapter five, let's start with verse one. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. Sounds like Genesis 1, 26 and following. He created them male and female. Hmm. Didn't get a third category there, y'all. And he blessed them, and he called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years, and he begot a son in his own likeness. So now he's still having kids on up there. And after his image, and he named him Seth. So this is Seth's story. And he begot Seth. And after he begot him, all the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. How many sons and daughters? Ooh, I bet he had a whole mess of them. And so all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Verse 8. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and... Y'all going to get this before we finish. Verse 11. And so all the days of Enosh were 905 years and... Oh, my Lord, you woke up, praise the Lord. Verse 21, verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. Y'all heard of Methuselah? Okay, everybody knows Methuselah. Good old Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. How many you reckon he had? A whole bunch. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Watch this. And Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. We call that translation. He was translated into heaven, not through death. That is sort of a precursor, a forerunner, if you will, of what happens in rapture. We'll unpack that next week. Hope you'll come back. So Enoch was not. God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. Okay, And so then it talks about how much longer he lives. Verse 27, so all the days of Methuselah, longest recorded life in all of human history, were 969 years. Man, he lived a long time. 969 years and... Well, there you go. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son, and I bet you know him. He called his name Noah. 
saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And after he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years, and he had sons and daughters. How many you reckon he had? A whole bunch of them. And so all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and pretty depressing. And Noah was 500 years old. Dude is having babies a long time. And he had Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And that sets us up for something very significant to come. Heavenly Father, what an incredible list of patriarchs. With the exception here of Enoch and Noah, and Noah's time will come later, all of these lived. And though they lived very, very long lives, the time came and they died. That will be the testimony of us all unless we too are translated in rapture. But either way, whether by death or rapture, we better be ready. We will face our maker. And I want folks to be certain. I want folks to see through the darkness of these verses, there is a greater light. His name is Jesus in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. All right, J. Vernon McGee, great old preacher, Bible uh, commentator, radio personality. He's home with Jesus now, but he said this. In one sense, Genesis 5 is one of the most discouraging and despondent chapters in the Bible. The reason is it's like walking through a cemetery. Yeah, I agree, but I also think there are glimmers of hope because some of us are in some darkness right now. Certainly our world is in some darkness right now, but in the darkness, the light is more obvious. And so I want you to get this down, somewhat of a downer outline, but it's just the reality of what we see in front of us from the scripture. First, we want to see this. The wages of sin truly is death. Not making that up. I'm just pulling from Romans chapter six. That's what we get. What we owe for our sin. The payment is death. Now, I want to take you way back to May. In May, we were on this thing called the slippery slope of sin. And I was arguing that it wasn't just the biting of the fruit. It wasn't in the eating. It was everything that led up to the sin. We think sin is just disobeying God. It's more than that. Thoughts, words, actions, inaction, anything that displeases the Lord. Sin infects and affects everyone and everything. It's like a cancer in our world. We have doubt. There was distortion, denial, dishonesty, deception, desire. Then the disobedience, dissension, it grew disgrace, and ultimately the last D I told you, sin always ends in death. That's what the Bible teaches, but there's also God's deliverance. We've already seen Cain raise up and kill his brother Abel, but we have seen no one die a quote-unquote natural death because death really isn't natural. When God created our first parents, folks, death was not in the picture. I don't believe they died I don't believe they would have died. I don't believe anything would have died. I think death entered the world because of sin. It's affected everyone and everything. There are four points we see repeated here. Now pay attention to these four points in the text. The age when the patriarch's son was born, his age, the age of the patriarch, his subsequent lifespan, the fact that he had other sons and daughters, many, many, I'm sure, and then, of course, it records the age of his death. So the patriarchs were fulfilling God's command to be fruitful and multiply. And at first, when we transition to chapter 5, it looks like we're just getting this sort of interesting name of, of people, like historians and theologians might study it. But what else do we learn? What else do we take from this? I found this theme over and over and over. It's a profound theme. 
I want you to see it, look at it. There is this theme that he lived and then he died over and over. It's imp- and, and the Bible spends almost no time expounding upon this man's life. Almost no time. You've all heard the name Methuselah because you knew he was the longest living person. But you might not have heard of Lamech. You might not have heard of Enoch or Enosh. You might not have heard of some of these Mahaliel or some of the other ones. But the reality is that that whole life is what we call the dash, right? You have the year of birth, you have the year of death, and in between them there on the headstone is the dash. There's this little poem about having life to rehash. How would you have lived your dash? This is what you have. And I don't care if you have 70 years, 120 years, 969 years. You, heal, you still have a dash. That's it. And, and it's been said that mankind's just been given two things to master, how to live and how to die. But we still don't know how to do those things too well. We're still trying to elongate life and avoid death. And despite our ability to conquer space and even some diseases, and in spite of our ability as humankind to overcome some incredible challenges, it's both interesting and ironic that man still struggles with living and dying well. And it's true all over the world. I've stood beside many a deathbed five different times early in my ministry while I was praying. While I was praying, the person I was praying for slipped away into eternity people stopped asking me to pray for their loved ones. Uh, no, it was, it was one of those where, you know, they're praying for God's mercy. Take them on. They're not going to be here much longer. And literally, five, the first time it happened, I wigged out. It scared me. I can still see it. I know where I was in that living room surrounded by that family, and she had just been holding on, holding on, holding on. And in that prayer, before I said amen, God took her home. And then four times after that, it happened. Some people die well. I've also been beside the beds of those who didn't know the Lord, and they did not die well. There was a terror. There was a fear. There was an angst and anxiety that was all over them, and it was obvious, and they weren't ready to go, and they did not want to go. But it seems to me the true believers, including my own father, passed very beautifully. I'm going to share that story one day, not today. The wages of sin truly is death. God was true to his word. He said, Adam, if you do this, you'll die. And now here's Adam paying the piper. Not only did it result in death for Adam, but all in Adam die. Romans 5, 19. Adam's sin brought condemnation to all men because we're all in the same family. And when we look at the genealogical list, we see the pattern. It goes from Adam, who died, to Seth, who died, to Enosh, who died, Canaan, verse 14, who died, Mahaliel, 17, he died, Jared, he died, Methuselah, yes, he lived a long time, but he still died, and Lamech, he died. Only Enoch escapes, and we'll talk about that next time, and then Noah, and we'll come back to him one of these days. But it's interesting when I read the opening verses of chapter 5, it sounds like a restatement of Genesis 1. So I've written it like this for your notes. Genesis 5 seems to indicate a new beginning for humanity because it takes us back to Genesis 1. But we cannot escape the consequences of our first parents' choices. Death is everywhere. They chose to disobey God. And in disobeying God, they put a separation from which was perfect and relational and intimate. And it separated humankind. And all of us since then have been born in sin, save Jesus Christ, who was not born of the seed of man. But there's this ominous 
this ominous refrain, then he died, then he died, then he died, and it proves the veracity of God's warning. So you have these long lives, and at the end of the testimony, all that can be said is, he died. This is true of us all. Elvis, the king of rock and roll, or Michael Jackson, if you say the king of pop, or Marilyn Monroe, or these famous figures, or even you think about the emperor Shah Jahan there in India who built the great mausoleum for his beloved bride, his favorite wife. That's a weird phrase in and of itself. But his favorite wife, he builds this giant mausoleum around her. It's called the Taj Mahal. It's extraordinarily impressive up close, but if you get further and further from it, this great edifice becomes a grain of sand. And in light of the earth, it's a tiny fraction of a thing. And then when you get out to the solar system, you couldn't see it at all or go beyond our galaxy into the thousands or millions or trillions or uh, just unimaginable numbers of other galaxies in this giant universe. And the Taj Mahal doesn't matter at all, but all of it is still in the palm of God's almighty hand. I don't care what your stone looks like, what your mausoleum looks like, there's coming a day when above your head it's going to say, and he died. Sin reigned in death. Sin exercised dominion in death. That's what Romans 5.21 says. And all of us in Adam and Eve, are you in Adam and Eve's family? Yep. If you're human, you are. We're by nature sinners. But unlike the disobedience in Adam's garden, Christ was in his garden, Gethsemane, and he perfectly obeyed. So in the darkness of death, there's the hope of life and light in Christ. But men get funny when death comes calling. David Harrell wrote a book entitled Out of the Depths. It told the story of his father, Edgar Harrell. And Edgar was one of the 300 survivors after the sinking of the USS Indianapolis. This was the last U.S. ship sunk by enemy contact in World War II. It's a fascinating story if you've never read about it, never seen a documentary on it, but 600 of the 900 men who survived the ship's sinking were stranded in the water for 500 days. For five, 500, five days. That would have been really a cool story. Five days, five days. Many of these guys only had their life vests. They were all facing thirst and hunger and injuries and dehydration. And what do you think bobbing out in the ocean was the greatest threat of them all? Dunno. Yep, Jaws and his buddies came calling. And that's why of the 900, so few actually made it out of the water. They came face to face with their own mortality. We were snorkeling. Um, and the last day... The last outing, I saw about a six or seven foot Caribbean reef shark. I was near about like Peter walking on water. <laughs> Let's just say we got out of there, man. I like to catch fish. I like to eat fish. I do not want to be eaten by one. I want you to hear what Edgar Harrell testified to of those days in the ocean. This is an incredibly profound statement. He said this, quote, clearly there were no atheists in the water. He said, gone was that attitude of pride that deceives men into thinking there's no God or if there is one, they don't need him. When a man is confronted with death, it is the face of the almighty God he sees, not his own. Harold says, we were all acutely aware of our creator during those days and nights. Can you imagine? Can you imagine hearing your buddies over here being attacked? It's highly unlikely that yours or mine will come in that way, but the reality is something's going to get us all. I'm going to take what 
academicians would call an excursus, okay? An excursus is a fancy way to say a bunny trail, but I don't really think it's a bunny trail. I really think this is important because I've been making this statement that they really did live these long lives and they really had tons and tons of kids. And I want you to understand something. I don't believe the, the ages and stages here in Genesis are, are hyper, hyperbolic, meaning exaggerated. I believe they're reality. And I'm going to tell you some reasons why I do think that all of these men here, and, and I believe their wives, if we could go back and look, that they have such long lives, including 969 years from Methuselah. What caused it? Was it um, the eating of the tree of life? Was it vigorous constitutions? Was it the nature of their diet, the temperature, the, the salubrious climate, and the atmosphere? I believe it's yes, 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 yes. And it is the sovereignty of Almighty God. So I'm going to give you some theories. Again, I'm just going to take an aside because I want you to trust the Word of God. I want you to understand that the Word of God really accords with reality. You do not have to be a skeptic. And some of you younger guys going to seminary, what seminary showed me is that and some guys go to seminary and get smarter than God, and then they come out agnostics or, heaven forbid, atheists. Not me, man. It just solidified my belief that God's word is true, that every word of it could be trusted. So let me give you a couple of the most common theories for the age of the antediluvians. Let me explain the terms. Ante, A-N-T-E, not A-N-T-I, not against, but before. Anti, antediluvian. Diluvian would be flood. So those that lived before the days of Noah's flood or the universal flood in the days of Noah were called antediluvians. Why did they live so long? Let me give you some, what I believe are the most probable theories. First of all, when God made Adam and Eve, remember we just brushed the surface with this last week, he made them essentially perfect spiritually, physically, and otherwise. But sin enters the world and there's this harmful effect not only on their spirit but on their physical body. Genetically speaking, they were made with perfect health. There was an inclination then, the natural inclination was not just long life but eternal life. But since sin entered the world and it began to affect not only people but the planet, we get sick, we grow old, we die. With genetic mutation, which we can even trace to this day, they tend to be passed from parent to child. Sometimes they skip a generation, parent to grandchild, or even a few generations. But with each passing generation, new genetic problems emerge. So medical science is always attempting to keep up, but we're never quite there because the same refrain could be said of our day. He lived and then he died. But what we find is that over time, there have been shortened lifespans. Now we're at a place where those expansion, that life has expanded, but we still don't get real far. We still come nowhere close to these days. Another theory, and one that I personally hold as I studied it many years ago and came to be convinced of its veracity, is the canopy of water vapor that encompasses the whole earth. There's a lot of different names for it, the shroud theory, the vapor theory, the canopy theory, either way you want to say it. Um, Ken Ham has written on it, Answers in Genesis, Creation Research Institute, you can look up some of those things. But um, many theologians believe that there was no direct sunlight on the earth that the sun's rays were refracted through a water vapor canopy and diffused light through the clouds. Now, there was enough light for things to grow, obviously, and there was a filtering process of cosmic rays. What we found is that while the sun is necessary for life, too much exposure often leads to mutation. Too much exposure brings cancers and problems, and there are issues. So too much of a good thing turns into a bad thing. In Noah's time, the Bible says in Genesis 7, 11, that the floodgates or the windows of heaven were open. It is not language used typically of rain. It is a different, unique phraseology that means that literally the sky fell. 
I do believe that's explanation of the water vapor canopy. When we come back one day, I don't know when, but when we're back, I'll explain it in greater depth and detail. And I will tell you that I believe we had a tropical or subtropical climate. And then Noah is building a boat before the earth had experienced rain like we see it today. After this canopy disappears, cosmic rays beam to the earth, lifespans are shortened. Again, that's just a little piece of the theory. Also, finally, I'll give you one more. Remember the, remember the antediluvians had a vegetarian diet. Now, I, for one, am very grateful that God would later say, take, kill, and eat. Praise God. I am a meditarian. So those of you that are vegetarians, that's fine. But even you vegans out there, you know, we still don't live to be 969 years old. So that can't explain everything. You're right, it doesn't. Imagine a world, though, where we don't have the chemicals, the pollution, the pesticides, all of the mess. Do you know you can take a little chicken? We lived in a chicken farming town for 11 years. You know you take that little bird and you pump him full of steroids, and six weeks later, he's riding the chicken hearse to go to the chicken plant to head to your table. It's amazing what we've done. And who knows what all of these steroids are doing to us? Who knows what all of these chemicals are doing? But in a day where all of that is gone, but it still doesn't explain everything. So what we actually find in Genesis 6, 3 is this. God said, see, the wickedness of man is multiplying. Multiplying quickly. And God said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for he is also flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. I believe God in his sovereignty and his mercy supernaturally shortened the lifespan of man because he saw that we were making a mess of things. So ultimately, I believe God looked at Noah and his generation and those who would follow after the flood from Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives and the children that would emerge. Again, all still kin to Adam and Eve. But I believe God said, you know what? They've made a mess of it, so I'm gonna shorten life. And guess what? Even with all medical advancement, the, the, the highest recorded lifespan in modern time, falls within that 120-year range. The average, though, average, average, mimics Psalm 90 written by, by Moses, just like this was written down by Moses, that says God may give them 70 or 80 years. The Bible is so incredibly accurate, yet it's not a science book, and so it doesn't tell us everything we want to know, but everything we need to know. And I'm here to tell you, we don't have one single explanation. We have a multitude of explanations of why they could have lived such long and fruitful lives. Do you realize that even outside of the Bible, there are listings out there, for a Sumerian kings list, for instance, when we take the translations of the language of the day and match them to Hebraic numbering, what we find is that there are extra biblical evidences, meaning beyond the Bible, evidence that says, actually, there are other cultures that speak of people living to be in the 900-year range. So it's not just the Bible, in the same way that there are flood narratives. Those flood narratives don't make me question the Bible. It says something really happened and the world was really covered and these branches of truth are coming off the biblical narrative. It makes perfect sense. Of course cultures around the world would speak to this. So do I personally believe that Adam and Seth and Methuselah and all of these antediluvians really lived this long? Well, yeah, of course I do. And I believe there was a guy named Lazarus who really died and was put in a tomb and his body really did begin to stink and God called him forth in the person of Jesus Christ and said, Lazarus, come forth. And I believe Jesus himself really died there on the old rugged cross at Calvary and they took him down and put him in a borrowed tomb and three days later by the power of God, he lived again and lives forever. I really believe that. 
If you believe the gospel, this shouldn't, this shouldn't uh, make you upset. This shouldn't make you go, oh, we've got to question all of the truth of God's word. No, it's actually explicable. You don't have to fret and worry. There are reasons that these men and women could have lived long and God was making them fruitful. The earth was being populated quickly. Uh, mathematicians, statisticians, great theologians have done the math. You can populate a planet quickly if you're going to procreate for seven, eight hundred years, man. And they had sons and daughters. Imagine showing off your grandkids. You're, you know, your thing would be, holy moly. I just don't know how they afforded them. But, but, no matter how long they lived in these early days, death was coming. Look at that outline right there. That was good timing. No matter how long they lived, death was coming. Now, I know that's depressing. He lived, he died. First parent's choice, death is everywhere. Doesn't matter how long you live, doesn't matter how long I live, rapture or death is coming, and either way, I'm standing before my maker. Maybe you can't make it back next week. So remember, the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You say, no, I'm, I'm coming back. Pastor, I'll be here. I'll be here next week. I'll hear the second part of this message. Are you certain? I'm just I'm asking a real question. Are you certain you'll be here next week? Is there a soul in this room that would say with 100% certainty, I know for a fact I'll be sitting here? Don't you raise your hand and presume on God. Be careful, because the reality is, in a room this full, and in all the rooms we've had this morning this full, something's going to happen to somebody this week that you did not expect. My friend Mike, our former chairman of the deacons, woke up next to his dear wife yesterday, and when he went back in the room to check on her, she could not speak. The right side of her body is currently paralyzed. And she's lying in Fort Sanders Hospital with a stroke that nobody saw coming. You need to pray for the Rouse family. We had a young man yesterday just doing some work. The fire not only got on the brush, it got on him. He's laying at Vanderbilt today with burns in critical places on his joints. You need to pray for the Evans family. I'm telling you, as a pastor, what I've learned is that you never know what could happen. And I'm rarely surprised anymore when my phone rings and I get the news of this or of that because such is the nature of life in a sin-cursed world. I'm compelled by the Spirit of God and the Word of God to remind you today, you, I, we must be ready for in the inevitability called death. Last month, we had the privilege of driving down to Lake Harding at the border of Alabama and Georgia. was preaching that, um, lake, that boat church service. I was taking our little boat. We pulled it out of the garage, and I aired up the tires to make sure everything was ready to roll. And we've been using it a lot lately, so I knew it was pretty well good to go. But I told Cindy as we were finishing packing, I said, you know, I really should have gotten new tires on this boat trailer before we left. These tires have got some age on them. They're bias ply, which you know anything about trailering. They're not great for the highway and long distance and heat buildup. They're really not rated to go super fast. 
And I told her, I just sort of, I said it and then I put it out of my mind because I was afraid of what might happen. I've had a few 33 foot campers on the side of the road before with blown tires. It's not fun. And so I did have a spare and we got on the highway and things went great for the first five hours or so. And then we hit a big thunderstorm. And when that, I think that cold water hit those super hot tires because we've been traveling fairly quickly. I'm sure we were below the speed limit though. God bless you. So when the, when the rain hit the tires, boom, one of them popped. I felt it and I saw it. Thankfully, it didn't rip my wiring out of my wheel well or destroy my wheel well, but sure enough, it popped and we pulled off. Heather and Parker were in their car behind us and we just waited for the rain to subside. It felt like Noah 2.0, but we waited and we waited and then Parker got out and we got the lug wrench. He and I took the tire, jacked it, took the tire off, swapped it for the spare and we went on. The next day, we did the service. It went great. Monday morning, Bobby and I, little Bobby and I, were at the tire man getting two brand new radials put on my boat trailer, so I'm good to go now. But the reality is this. When it comes to life, there's a day coming, and you know it's coming. Just like I knew these tires probably can't handle this trip, and I should have been ready, but I wasn't ready. But you know if you're old enough to even understand the words coming out of my mouth, you know there's a day coming when this thing is over. The page is going to turn, and eternity is waiting on the other side. You know it. And when that blowout happens, you don't have a spare. No, Shirley McLean, you don't come back as a butterfly and get a do-over. This is it. It is appointed to man to die once. And after this, judgment. You will stand before the Lord via death or rapture. You will stand before the Lord. How will you respond? You say, well, I'm not even a believer. I won't go up in rapture. Brother, I don't even want to talk to you about how severe it's going to be for those who remain. That's called tribulation and then great tribulation. And it's the most horrific thing you can possibly see in the Bible. It's far worse than death. But are you ready? As Jeff comes up, I want to I encourage you. There, people have gotten saved the last few hours, and there's going to be pastors and counselors right over here, right around where Cindy and I are going to be. We would love to tell you how you can know that you know that you know. You don't need to leave uncertain. You don't need to leave going, boy, I think so, but I hope I don't have a blowout this week. If I come back next week, maybe I'll be ready. Okay, but you just told God no thanks. You just denied his offer for you to receive him today. See, the lack of a decision is a decision itself. When I've asked my children to do something and they say, I'll do it later, I take that as a no. Unless there's freedom and I've said, well, just do it when you get around to it. But if I say, take care of this and you don't, that's a no. God is telling you, be ready. They lived a long, long time. But then they died. And I'm going to ask you to do three things in the invitation. First, I want you to really consider the wages of sin is death. I know I sin. Stand with me. The first thing I want you to do is remember you're a sinner, only saved by grace. And if you are a Christian, you are saved because God did it and you should be grateful. So be thankful. Be grateful this morning. The second thing I want you to do is this. If you know someone, you know someone that is not saved, I bet you do. Family member, friend, coworker, neighbor, fellow student, I bet you know somebody who if they had a blowout today, you don't think they'd spend eternity with the Lord. Be over. 
They'd be separated from God forever. If you know someone who may be lost, the second thing I want you to do today is I want you to make a commitment before the Lord that he's going to use you somehow to speak a gospel word into their life. I don't care if you share this message. I don't care if you write them a letter, call them, go visit them. And the third thing I want you to do is I want you to put feet to it. First two hours, the altar was full. It was full of people coming to pray for people by name. If you want lost people with names to be saved, then you got to pray for lost people by name. You got to say, God, I'm bringing old Joe to you right now, and I'm laying him before you, and I'm asking you, God, would you draw him to you? Would you use me to help? How can I become part of his gospel story? God, let our stories intertwine. And can I invite him to Boom Bash? Can I give him this message? Can I get online and share this? It may seem horribly boring at first, a genealogical list, but I think there's profound truth contained herein. And so I'm gonna ask you as I begin to pray, the altar's gonna be open, a holy altar in a holy place on a holy day before a holy God. And I'm just gonna ask you to lay it before the Lord and say, God, I'm praying for this person. Some of y'all need to pray for yourself today. And some of you need to do what others have done in the first two services and you need to get saved today. I, I can't save you. Jeff can't save you. Coming to church can't save you. But Jesus can save you today. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. While I'm praying, if God's put somebody on your heart, you said, I've prayed for them before, good, bring it to the altar. Lay them before God at the altar. As I begin, you start coming. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.